Hey, 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 everybody. The pod is back. This is the text lab from the green room at Vintage Grace Church. We are back, and boy, does it feel good to be back, Will. It is so nice to be back, Crawl. And I got to tell you, what was even nicer is my massage gun that we both got for Christmas, dude. I'm telling you, great Christmas present, great Christmas season, but we're so excited to be here. We're going to, you're going to need it, man, for where we are going next. We're back just like the Backstreet Boys came back, just like the Terminator came back. Just like MJ in the 45, we are back. The text lab is back, and we are diving into season four, heading into Revelation. Now, to quote the great theologian Tommy Boy, he said this, and this is how most of us feel as we hop into Revelation. I don't know what I am doing. I don't know where I am going. Well, that is part of our job here is to help you feel equipped. Yep. We are hoping to change that so that you know where you're going and what you're doing. And all jokes aside, we are excited to dive into a brand new season, excited to dive into Revelation. For those listeners who don't know the text lab, this is where every single week we do a deep dive into the text to really just help you prepare for your life group during the week. Our goal is simple, uh, to really just help you be a disciple who makes disciples. So whether you're leading a life group or just trying to do some deep dive on your own, we hope the text lab helps you to have a meaningful study of God's word and some meaningful conversations about his word this week. So we're, we're diving right in. Revelation 1, 1 through 8 is where we are at this week. We want to give a shout out to Ryan Houck, who is a part of VG, who did a lot of prep work for the podcast and for the text during the series. We want to make note that his text guides are going to be posted on the website. You can go on there and check them out for a little bit, even more deep dive apart from the text lab. So let's Let's dive in. Revelation 1, 1 through 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is in it, who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and I am the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So good. So good. Let's start a little bit with just the big idea of Revelation. Um, John is writing to the church and he's giving them this revelation during this extreme persecution by the Roman and Jewish world towards the church. Uh, Followers of Jesus under this time were under just intense pressure to give up their belief in God and to worship Roman Caesar um, as God. And in light of this, in the face of this, John emphasizes that God is addressing this church as Lord, that he is the king, that he reigns supreme from beginning to end. That's kind of his big idea 
of the text. So, Will, what does revelation even mean? Yeah, revelation, this word means an uncovering or revealing. It's a common prophetic term to describe the message God has given to the writer. In this case, John, through an angel from Jesus originating from God. So it's a little confusing, but basically what this means, all this is doing is like, this is the uncovering of a reveal or revealing that's already taken place. Like this is showing, uh, as we see of Jesus has the sense of this revelation is given by and is given from Jesus concerning that it was given to him by God. Right? So this is we think of revelation in such a way that it's like, oh my gosh, I need to try and uncover, mm. like, because I have no clue. And what revelation is doing is saying like, no, this is the final score. Jesus is one. And all we're doing is we're getting a look into what he, who, how he is one. Yeah. And right there in verse one, it's, I think it's important just to notice how John writes that the time is near. You know, a lot of times when we approach Revelation, we can kind of come at it as this kind of let's guess the date. Let's um, kind of play code breakers and figure out if we can s- figure out when and where things will happen. But that's not really John's intent at all through Revelation. I think it's really important to get that at the beginning. Um, a lot of people kind of get lost in that really looking to the future um, and kind of looking at what um, might happen that Revelation is is revealing. But really what John is making a point of is the things that are happening in his day and in his time as the source of Revelation. So much imagery that we're going to see all throughout this book is referring back to things happening in John's time of his writing and really back to imagery in the book of Daniel. And so um, the book's content should really be viewed through this lens of looking at John and the original audience that he had 2,000 years ago. We always want to keep that in mind as we approach scripture of who was the author's original audience and really what was the author's intent, and especially when it comes to that imagery. Um, Leaders, keep that in mind as you lead these discussions. It's not about guessing what might happen. It's really looking at the imagery that is in Daniel and in the first century and what that reveals to us and how John uses that imagery. Absolutely. And I think like along those lines, when we think about imagery, a great question for us to ask like in our life groups is, what do you think of when you hear the word or you think of the word revelation? How has the word, the world and the media portrayed this word? Uh, I mean, shoot, like think about movies, think about like all of the books that have been written. Think about all of that stuff. Like that's a great question to ask. And then another one, um, knowing that revelation simply comes from the word uncover. How is that different from you, uh, from you and the world and your understanding of basically like, how do you understand uncover? Like I think of uncover, like my chart, my little girl, Charlie's trying to hide under the covers and I'm just pulling the covers off of her head. That's all we're trying to do there. Yep. Yep. And I think so much of navigating this text well is going to be continuing to pay attention to what are we actually bringing to the text from pop culture or from other baggage or from other stuff we've heard versus what does the text actually say? And really, again, author's intent. What is the point that John is actually trying to make through the imagery that he is using? Let's let's look at some of that. In verse four, right away, uh, John writes, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. This is a great place where we immediately see first century imagery at play. In the first century, uh, the Greeks had this common phrase regarding Zeus, their chief god. And it went 
something like this. Zeus is, Zeus was, Zeus will be. So you see John actually playing off of that and saying, you know who's more powerful and who is greater than Zeus is Jesus. Jesus is and who was, and he is the one that is to come. He replaces Zeus with Yahweh, and this becomes the title for God here in this passage. Yeah, and, and and we see in verse four the seven spirits before his throne, uh, and really what this is doing is this is referencing to numerous Old Testament passages that describe God in his throne room, often surrounded by angelic beings, right? Like so, Job one, First Kings twenty two, like Daniel seven. These are all examples of like this type of scene. Uh, we have a lot of imagery that can be super difficult to understand, and what helps us is when we start to look back into what the Old Testament is actually teaching us, right? So when we get to, um, these things usually denote the occurrence of a judgment or it's something, a determination of God's will. So this scene sets the stage for the whole book, that this is a divine council of decision on the history of the entire cosmos, the entire world. Um, and, and crawl, like this leads us into what the judgment ha- is and how it's been paid for. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the big things to pay attention to here, even as we're in Revelation, is um, the the imagery that John uses here about the sacrificial system right away in verse 5, talking about Jesus, who is the one who freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and father. And so there's really this reference, this callback to the Old Testament of the Jewish sacrificial system, which was based on the idea that a wrongdoing required the blood of life to make up for that wrongdoing. Death was required as payment for disobeying God uh, because God is fully righteous. And so this entire sacrificial system was based on the lifeblood that was the payment for sin. And so John right here in verse 5 is you using Jewish imagery in the beginning of his book of Revelation. So, Will, I love what you said about Revelation. This is about looking back just as much as it is about looking forward. In fact, I would argue that it's more about looking back rather than looking forward. You're looking back to the Jewish Old Testament system, and you're looking back to what Christ has done on the cross. And so um, we really have this Christ-centered, Christ-centric focused at the beginning of Revelation, and that's really the whole point of the book of Revelation, as Drew um, says in his message on Revelation as we kick off that this is about God winning. This is about Jesus winning. So we're really looking back to what Christ has done in Revelation. That's the uncovering, um, the finding Charlie under the covers is look at what Jesus has already done. He's paid for our sins by his blood. He is the king. So good, man. And, 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 And it's so cool because we see this next transition of like, this makes us a kingdom of priests, right? Like, so we use this language of like, who are the everyday disciple makers? John is referring to what would have been a very well-known Old Testament passage when he makes this comment. And it's one of the first times God addresses his people through Moses. God instructs Moses to tell the people who God is and his plan for them. God tells uh, the Israelites or Moses that they will be his people, and they will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Here, John is linking Jesus' death on the cross 
and the fulfilling of God's intended goal to make his people, now consisting of Jews and Gentiles, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Like, that's amazing because we've been saved to be sent, right? Like, so this is the language that we start to see here, even in Revelation, which is so hard for us. Like, when we come to it, we think, there's so much difficulty. It's like, dude, it's the same concept. Jesus saves us to send us. And we see that right here. How does that play out really thinking about who we are as a community, as disciple makers at VG? That's so good, dude. Um, Ways that you think about like for that as like us as a community, we're disciples and makers. I think there's this connection with us as the kingdom of priests and as a priesthood that Jesus has established the kingdom. And then we're called to be priests and really kind of carry out that same role. Yeah, and like we just went through our Disciples Made Here series. Yeah. So we have seen every single day, like we're waking up at 9.38 and asking for the Lord. Hopefully you're waking up before 9.38, but you're asking the Lord, like, God, what are you inviting me into today? God, take kingdom labors out of the harvest. Like we know that the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few. Save people out of the harvest and draw them to be kingdom labors for your glory. So that's ultimately like what we see here is like, we are all the disciple makers. We are all the leaders who have been saved by grace and are sent to go engage in those relationships, relationships with the yet to believe. Which is such a big deal because operating in this priestly um, kind of position and role isn't something that is for a paid professional to do. It's not something for a certain other priest to do, which a lot of world belief systems have priests who are the only ones that do that. Um, But following Jesus, we're all called to be the priests. We're all called to be the disciples makers. That's why we talk about that so much at VG of who are the disciple makers at VG. It is all of us. And so I think this was a really good concept to talk about in your group of even looking back again of what was the role of the Hebrew priests. Um, Take a look at that. Really, we should read Revelation with uh, Revelation open and the Old Testament open um, as well, especially Daniel 7, which we'll keep getting into. Um, But look back at the Old Testament the Hebrew priests and just think and talk about in your group, how did they serve people? How did they come in between people and God in this priestly fashion? And then as how do we as the modern church act as priests to the world, to each other in this priestly role as we're all called to be a kingdom of priests um, right there in verse five and six. And then continuing to verse seven, we see a little bit more imagery that we think is important to unpack. It talks about how he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. This is coming from Daniel 7. Open up the Old Testament as you read Revelation. Open up Daniel 7. Um, there's really this description in Daniel 7 of a heavenly throne room um, seen where the Ancient of Days is there, which is God the Father. And as the Ancient of Days, there's this connection then to in verse 7 of Jesus, the one who's coming on the clouds, really just emphasizing this kingship of Jesus, that he rules, he reigns. Um, That's the point that this is making here. Coming on the clouds, less to do with kind of guessing exactly what that will be like, when that will happen, how that will happen, and much more the meaning of Jesus coming on the clouds is referencing this imagery in Daniel 7, talking about the Ancient of Days who is king and Jesus the Son of Man who rules and reigns supreme. 
So we're going to hop from one worship song to another and talk about the Alpha and the Omega. I thought you were going to start singing there, Will. No, yeah, that's not my mine or your (laughs) spiritual gift. Amen to that. uh, The Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last. So here John is emphasizing that God is the first and the last using the Greek alphabet. It's emphasizing God's... God's omniscience, his all-knowing power, and his omnipotence, is all, that he is all-powerful, that he is the beginning and the end, and there, that he is before the beginning, he is before the end. He, we're using that structure to say, you think about, from an earthly standpoint, the beginning and the end, right? Like, this is language, this is alphabet, this is how we interact, and God's saying, like, I created that, and I will create the end. Like he is saying, I am there. I am the one who is in complete control. So crawl coming out of that, how does that, how are you able to apply some of the stuff that we talked about today? Dude, I think it's right what you hit there in verse eight, where John describes Jesus, that he's the alpha and the omega, that Jesus says that. And the alpha and the omega says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come the almighty. I mean, to, to stop for a moment and just really acknowledge that and sit in that, thinking about Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega. I mean, I think it, it, it takes me to two places. One, it just takes to this like real rest that you can have in Jesus in the midst of a chaotic world that believes there is no beginning and end, that believes that um, the world is kind of just this cycle to do what you want, when you want, where you want it, however you want. No, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the King. And so um, there's a peace to that. There's a rest that you can have. There's a trust that you can have in really surrendering lordship of your own life to Jesus, getting off the throne of your heart to that. Um, But then that also leads you just right into worship. Um, That, man, why do we follow Jesus? Because he is worthy. He truly is the beginning and the end. It's not about the way to find your best life now. It's he is the King Um, He is coming again. Look at what he has done on the cross and then surrender to him in worship um, because he's the one who's on the throne. He is the king. What about you, Will? Yeah, man. Well, you just hit it at the very end there. Um, When we hear freed us from our sins from his blood, Mm -hmm. right? This concept and this idea that like revelation is pointing us to the cross time and time and time again. And the beautiful thing is, it's like, the cross is not just for those who don't yet love yeah. Jesus. The yeah. cross is for us. The cross is a reminder that I need my sin paid for today, tomorrow, and every single day. And I'm reminded that even in my failure, even in my struggle, even as I am a saint who struggles with sin, uh, I need the cross. And I need to be drawn back there to Jesus' perfection, my imperfection. And again, like it leads you to worship. It leads you to realize that like... Man, I am okay not being okay and having God transform me because I'm not trying to perform. I'm not trying to say I have all the answers. I'm able to come before the cross and say, Jesus, you are the perfect one. I am not. Lord, use me, broken, uh, a sinner saved by grace, a saint who struggles with sin because ultimately that's what the gospel is about. It's so good. And that is what Revelation is all about. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Whether you are at the gym, cleaning the house, mowing the lawn, I hope someone out there is mowing their lawn, driving in the car, whatever you like to do while listening to the podcast, our hope is that you feel equipped, encouraged, and ready to walk through the text with your group this week. As always, do your own prep. Let the Spirit lead you and know that you are 
one who is sent by God this week into your family, into your school, into your work, into World Traveler Coffee. You may see us there. The gym and soccer practice, wherever your Pray Watch community might be and wherever God invites you to go to be the living proof of our loving God. We love you all and we'll catch you next time on The Text Lab.